Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. There are a lot of different theories in psychology that have been proposed to explain the way that we approach and navigate our relationships. But one of the most influential in the field and in pop psychology is attachment theory. In some ways, I see it as an offshoot of classic Freudian psychology in which those very early interactions with our parents and caregivers profoundly shape how we go through the rest of our lives. But that's kind of where the similarities at. I mean, for one thing, there's no penis envy in attachment theory. That said, with a better understanding of attachment theory, you can potentially better understand yourself and your sexual and romantic partners. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. What are the primary attachment styles? How do you know what your own is? Can you change your attachment style? And what can you do if you end up in a relationship with someone whose attachment pattern is very different from your own? Dr. Nicole McNichols is back today to talk all about attachment, sex, and relationships. She is an associate teaching professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington and co-author of the textbook, Human Sexuality in a Diverse Society. This is going to be a very practical and informative conversation. So stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Get fit and stay firm with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections, while also enhancing pleasure for both the wearer and their partner. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app, which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com And be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Applications are now open for a new continuing medical education course from the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The course is titled Gender, Sexuality, and Medicine, an Introduction to LGBTQ Plus Competent Care, and it will be held this fall. Both online and in-person attendance options are available. This course is intended for health professionals, and it offers continuing education credits. Please visit kinseyinstitute.org for more information and to register. Let's talk about attachment styles. So, Nicole, when I was a graduate student studying romantic relationships, attachment was one of the big theories we talked about all of the time. And it's been around for decades, and there are literally thousands of studies out there on attachment and relationships at this point, showing that our attachment style predicts so many different things in our sex and love lives. But as a starting point, let's talk about what the different attachment styles are. So can you just give us the brief primer on that? Absolutely. So attachment style really goes back to this idea that the types of bonds that we formed with our caregivers carry forward and define the types of attachments and the way that we interact and experience romantic relationships. And, you know, on the one hand, there's sort of a categorical way to describe attachment theory. But really what some of the more recent research has shown is that it's, you know, again, like many things in sex and relationships exists more on a continuum. So to be more specific, most people, right, 
will be able to look at a questionnaire that will kind of ask you about how do you feel when you relate to other romantic interests? Do you feel that you are secure with how they're going to respond to you, that they're more or less going to be able to meet your needs, that you can interact with them and be honest? So we see that about a little over half of people, when you look at nationally representative samples, tend to say that they're that category, which is securely attached. And then the other three categories are anxious ambivalent, which is characterized by people who have more of an anxious attachment. And these are people who they kind of report wanting to completely merge with their partner. They never quite feel close enough. They feel very anxious that even if their partner is fulfilling their needs, there's sort of this constant worry that it's going to stop at any time. And then there's avoidant, right, which is a person who just doesn't really feel completely comfortable with intimacy. They feel a little bit like their partners are oftentimes trying to get closer to them than they really feel comfortable with. And it feels, you know, when things start to get really close, they tend to back off. And then you have a disorganized attachment style, which is sort of the anxious and avoidant combined. And you know, where there's sort of this fear that you're going to be rejected and intense fear of abandonment coupled with sort of a discomfort with intimacy together. So so those are the categories, but, you know, people kind of exist, you know, like anything, it's hard to put us all into boxes. And so you can almost think of attachment theory as existing along two intersecting continuums. And the first really has to do with your feelings about yourself, right? Like, do you think that you are good enough, right? It's sort of this feeling of, am I good enough? Am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be abandoned? I'm not sure that, you know, what am I doing wrong, right? It's sort of this sense of if somebody seems to be rejecting you at some level, you kind of get very anxious. You're very attuned to that. And then the other spectrum is what are your feelings about others, right? Which is, do you feel like you can rely on other people? Do you feel like you can trust other people? And so what we find is that people who are very high on the anxiety about yourself are anxiously attached, whereas people who are very high on the you know distrust or not feeling like you can count on others spectrum are avoidantly attached. But then people can have all different sort of intensities with these two spectrums that kind of define where they are in that attachment spectrum. I think that's a great and very concise explanation for what is a complex topic. And I appreciate you bringing up how our conceptualization of attachment has changed a lot over time. I mean, I remember when I was an undergraduate in college, first learning about attachment theory, we were told that there were just these three categories of secure, anxious, and avoidant. And basically, you just kind of gave people a little paragraph and people just kind of picked which one was the best fit for them. And it was sort of like, these are these three very neat and clean, tidy categories of attachment. But we've learned in the ensuing years that it's much more complex than that. And when you plot things on these continua, you can see that there's so much more diversity and variability in attachment than previously thought. So thanks for giving us our orientation there. And I think as you discussed, you give us some sense of where our attachment patterns come from. You know, they're related to those early childhood interactions. And, you know, a lot of people have this sense that your attachment style 
is pretty stable over the entire course of your life. And again, I know when I was in graduate school, we kind of learned about attachment as this cradle to grave phenomenon, like your attachment style is set very early in life. And that's the attachment style you're going to have until the day you die. But I don't think that's really accurate <laughs> anymore. So <laughs> what is your take on attachment style over the lifespan? Is this something that can change? Or are we just kind of stuck with whatever attachment style we develop early in life? Uh, well, that is a the million dollar question, right? And I think it's it's become really increasingly clear just how contextual and flexible attachment styles are. And first, I want to go back to you know this idea of where do they come from because that kind of helps you to answer the question of how malleable are they. And it absolutely does tend to come from our attachments with our caregivers. There also, I think, though, and you know what research has shown is that there's just a little bit of brain chemistry. I mean, there's just a little bit of how people are wired in life. And some people are just going to have the types of personalities for whatever reason, whether it's learning history or brain chemistry or genetics, that's just going to make them more likely to have one attachment style than another. And I think that's why you can see, you know, that you might have three siblings who grow up in this exact same family and two of them are securely attached and one of them is like avoidant as heck, right? So it's, you know, or anxious, you know, as you can imagine. So I think we have to like also remember that's not just coming from one factor. But what is really interesting is that it's definitely situational. So Yes, if you have an anxious attachment style and that defines you early on, you will have a tendency to feel anxious in relationships. And same thing with having an avoidant attachment style. But there are things such as, you know, the type of relationship that you're in that are just simply going to prime what the particular attachment style is that's going to be kind of encouraged forward within you, right? So for example, a person who is anxiously attached, right, who later enters into intentionally a relationship with a person who is securely attached, right? Relationships are vehicles for growth. We don't come into relationships just static versions of ourselves that never change. And it's absolutely possible for that relationship to be somewhat healing and to have that person who originally came in with very, very anxious feelings grow into a person who feels much more secure. They can have, you know, and so what might happen, for example, is that the person who is securely attached can recognize that they're with a person who maybe just needs a little bit more reassurance or who needs a little bit more definition in the relationship or who just needs more kind of, you know, intimacy and love and is able to give that, right? Or you might have a person who has grown up feeling like they're avoidant, but they don't want to be emotionally avoidant or they don't want to be feel like they can't connect with others. And so maybe what they've found is that rather than interacting maybe more with people who bring out that avoidant side of them, that they gel well again with a person who is secure and who can make them kind of less afraid of feeling overwhelmed in a relationship, a person who kind of can respect the fact that sometimes they just need a little bit of space and who maybe again helps them to 
grow into a person who has a little bit more access to kind of that inner emotional life that that allows you to really connect with a partner. So so the type of relationship you're in is absolutely going to be a factor, right? And it's the same way it can work the opposite way too. I mean, the most securely attached person, if you're in a relationship with a person who's hot and cold and puts you on the back burner and you never know if they're going to sh- you know, show up for the date or not, that's going to make anyone feel anxiously attached, right? And if you're with somebody who's really kind of needs reassurance all the time and doesn't want to, you know, have any time apart from the relationship, that's going to make everyone feel like they need a little bit of space to breathe. So I do think it's really important to kind of to to consider that. And then the other thing is it's not just our relationships that can produce changes. It's, you know, therapy. I mean, I am a proponent of everyone being in therapy, it's the best place to kind of talk through and become aware of what your particular attachment style is and how that may be getting in the way of your forming connections with other people and being able to kind of prevent them from from making you get sort of really anxious or feel like you're, you know, avoiding intimacy, as can other things in your life that just give you a sense of joy or freedom or a sense of confidence, right? If we have a lot of confidence in other areas of our life, it might make us feel like we're able to show up in our relationships in a way that's more available and less anxious. Yeah. So what I'm taking away from this is if you're somebody who learned about attachment theory, say 20 or 30 years ago, and that's still your basis for knowledge, you kind of need to throw that out because we think about attachment very differently today as existing on these continua and also as being something that is at least somewhat fluid and flexible over the course of the lifespan. And you're absolutely right in what the research shows is that your other relationships that you have in your adult life can shape your attachment style and it can go in any direction. You know, somebody who was very securely attached might become more anxious if, say, they're with a partner where there are repeated trust violations or a lot of infidelity or something else like that, right? So attachment styles can go off in any number of ways and they're very context dependent. And I think is further evidence for this idea that they can change. If you look at people who are in consensually non-monogamous relationships, there's actually some research showing that people can have different attachment styles with different partners, which I find to be fascinating. You know, it says that we don't all have to have just one attachment style. And so, for example, you might have one partner who is your secure base. You know, you're very securely attached to them, but you might have another partner whom you're very anxiously attached to. And so you can think about how these things could actually work really well together, right? And for somebody who is a little bit more anxiously attached, having a partner where you have this more secure connection can be a buffer against a lot of that anxiety. And you can also think about how consensual non-monogamy could be adaptive for somebody who just generally is more anxious, because if one relationship ends, they have these other relationships that they've cultivated, and so they're not losing everything from that standpoint. So I think the intersection of attachment and consensual non-monogamy is fascinating and worthy of a lot more study. But in talking about attachment style, I think it's always worthwhile to consider the role of culture. So in the United States, having a secure attachment style is often viewed as the best, right? There's sort of this idea that everybody should be securely attached and that there's this correct parenting style that's going to produce the optimal attachment style. 
But attachment theory has sometimes been described as being the weirdest theory in the world. And when I say weird, I'm referring to the acronym for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic, right? So most research and theory on attachment was developed and based in the United States. And if you look at cross-cultural research, you see that there are some differences when it comes to attachment precisely because attachment depends on context. So for instance, in some cultures, you have the model of one primary caregiver for children, but in other cultures, there's a whole network of caregivers. So that's going to have implications for how attachment styles develop. And likewise, certain attachment behaviors can be labeled or described differently across cultures. So as one example of this, a lot of the behaviors that are labeled as avoidant in, say, the United States are labeled as being signs of independence in a country like Germany. And in Germany, you actually have a much higher proportion of avoidantly attached persons. So I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Nicole. How important is it to take culture into account? when we're talking about attachment style. I think that that is such a great point. And it, it really shows how, you know, we do have a tendency to want to say, oh, well, one of these is better than the other, and we should all just aim to be securely attached. But, you know, here's the thing, right? They're anxiously attached people bring a lot to the table, right? They are very able to access their emotions, to connect, to emote, they can really help people who maybe have trouble accessing emotions to kind of grow in that way. And avoidantly attached people are great at staying calm under pressure, right? They tend not to get, you know, you know, really kind of overly emotional in situations where you have to keep your cool. I mean, the other thing is that if you look at this almost from an evolutionary point of view, right, there are adaptive reasons for why we have different attachment styles. If you were in a tribe of people where you could lose your partner at any given moment, you know, due to a, a, a clash with another tribe or any, you know, famine, it was pretty adaptive to be avoidant because otherwise you would be so devastated to the point of not being able to function every time you lost a partner. You know, or if you are living during a time in history when it was important to really have that connection and closeness, maybe you were all trying to survive together in the face of, you know, some type of hardship, it paid off to be anxiously attached. And to, you know, it's kind of the same type of anxiety that goes with wanting to make sure that you belong to the group, right? You don't want to be ostracized by your tribe because then you might die, right? This is how the world worked millions of years ago. So I think it's important to point out that we can't just, you know, rank these in terms of how good they are. And the other thing is, I think that people who are avoidantly attached are, <laughs> they really get, you know, they tend to be demonized <laughs> a lot of the times, which is unfortunate and really not fair. And I think that a lot of times they end up in clinical settings where they almost are made to feel like there's something wrong with them, that they're somehow deficient because they're not able to kind of access their emotions. And that's really a problem. I mean, I think it's really important not to, to demonize any of these types of attachment styles. Sure, when you, again, looking at attachment styles, you know, when you consider that these are spectrums, most of us exist somewhere along the low end of these spectrums. And we know that when you're at the low end, you tend to Attachments is really triggered when there's some kind of conflict in the relationship. And so if you are at the low end of these spectrums, you'll tend to either show avoidant or anxious sort of 
you know, reactions, sort of depending on the situation or depending how you're feeling that day. There are people where to the more extreme ends of these spectrums, they may be kind of more somewhat more permanently you know, situated on those continuums. We know that, for example, with an avoidant attachment style, as you get further and further out, because they have trouble kind of accessing that inner emotional life, you do start to get onto that continuum of sociopathy, which I find somewhat fascinating, which, you know, makes a little bit of sense. But narcissists, And, you know, and then once you go past, you know, you go to narcissism, then you go to sociopathy. But people avoid attachment styles. They're not all narcissists, right? I see a lot of sort of online, you know, attacks towards people with these different attachment styles. We have to remember we're all human. We're all capable of growth. And it's really just about having awareness and recognizing that it is something that's flexible and can change depending on the partner you're with or where you are. I do love that point about how polyamory might be and not ethical non-monogamy is sort of a great way to show how you can have different types of attachment styles with different partners at different points in your life and or at all the same time and how it can complement each other. If you have a securely attached partner, it might be kind of fun to have someone who makes you feel a little bit a little anxious, right? A little bit on your toes, not, you know, it's a little bit of, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Of having these, it's, it's going to absolutely having that secure base is going to buffer you so that it's not such a strong feeling maybe of discomfort when you do have other relationships that maybe bring out other attachment styles in you. I love that answer so much. And You know, whenever we talk about attachment styles and people talking about one as being better than another, I think oftentimes they're bringing either a cultural bias to that or a personal bias based on what their relationship values are. And you're so right that there is a lot of demonization of people who have avoidant attachment styles. And I think the question that is really important to step back and ask yourself is, you know, if there was a relationship where you had these different attachment styles and it didn't work out, is there really something wrong with your partner and do they need therapy or was it just not a good match? You know, I think so many of us like to project all of these things onto our partners and say, well, they hurt me. They did this. They need to get fixed, right? They need therapy, something else in their life. But maybe that's just who they are. Maybe there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. Maybe both of you just made a bad match. And I think if all of us had better self-understanding, like, what is our attachment style? What do I need? And we were honest with each other about here's what I need. And here's what you need. Are we a good match or not? You know, maybe we'd be a bit happier in the end. Unfortunately, that's not the way we approach things. But that's in my dream world. Well, that's exactly how I think about this. And, you know, imagine a world where we were all securely attached, no anxieties or avoidance at all in our relationships. How boring would that be? (laughs) Right? I mean, that would be, we'd all be like robots. I mean, it just wouldn't even, I think that it's our, our vulnerabilities and our imperfections that provide the glue a lot of times in our relationships. It's why we, it's why relationships can be so beautiful and can really help us to feel. And, you know, at what you just described is literally a relationship where you find someone who isn't perfect, but 
they kind of help to bring out the best in you and you bring out the best in them. And, you know, that's why you see a lot of, oh gosh, I see so much on social media about how you have to love yourself first before you can be happy in a relationship. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to work on yourself and you have to have more self-love if you're going to be worth. And I just think that's such a toxic message because back to this idea of, um, you know, not needing to view, you know, and pathologize any kind of attachment style that's not marked by our picture of, you know, our cultural ideal of perfect mental health. I mean, it's really kind of taking away from what makes us human. And I think that if you don't need anyone and you're perfect and you don't have any kind of emotional insecurities or wants, then it's going to make you a little bit harder to connect with, right? I mean, I just think that we have to view, again, relationships as vehicles for growth and that the right relationship isn't something that you have to be perfect before you deserve, that you can view a relationship if you have a certain level of self-awareness as something that's just either good for the particular way in which you relate to people or not good. And, and that's just something that only you can really know. Yep. And I think it's also possible that different types of relationships, partners with different attachment styles might work better for you at different stages of life. You know, you can imagine how there are certain times in life where maybe having a really avoidant partner who doesn't need much in the way of emotional intimacy. Like if you're super busy and stressed and have all kinds of things going on, like that could be the ideal relationship for you at that point in time, right? Versus at other points in time, maybe having a partner who is a little bit more anxiously attached and who, you know, is very emotive, like that could be very adaptive at that particular point in time. So I think, you know, again, there's no right or wrong answer here. And I think different types of matches can work. But I think that sort of level of self-understanding is is really important and really key. But I think an interesting question to ask with regard to attachment style is, let's say you're dating somebody. How can you tell what their attachment style might be? You know, short of coming out and asking, what's your attachment style? Are, are there any clues or indicators you can use to sort of figure out what is somebody else's attachment style so that I can know whether it might be a good match for me? Well, yes. So what we tend to see is that, so a securely attached person is going to be responsive. They're not going to be playing games. They'll kind of make it clear, you know, upfront how they feel. And if they're not going to really kind of be so attracted to a person who kind of makes them feel like they're really just not a priority at all, that so that's securely attached for anxiously attached you might see someone who you know maybe is a little bit maybe of an over communicator who you know maybe acts like they just need a lot of reassurance or who just puts out a lot of kind of signs for you know hoping that you'll kind of confirm that you like them and then for avoidance you know the thing that's interesting about avoidance is that you know, just to take a step back from all of this, all of us are human beings. We all want connection, right? And that that's true for avoidance too. And that early phase of love, right, isn't, you know, sometimes people's attachment styles won't come out until much later. But with people who are really avoidantly attached, they oftentimes will be the ones that are maybe a little bit love bomby in the beginning, where you're just kind of 
showered with all of this attention and they are just kind of, you know, maybe always sending you, you know, maybe flowers or gifts or telling you that you're meant to be and they can't stop thinking about you and that you're the most incredible thing they've ever, person they've ever met. Notice that I just slipped there and said thing because a little bit of what's happening is there's, you know, there can be a little bit of a almost viewing the other person as like a prize to be won in a way. So, so that can happen sometimes with really avoidantly attached people. And then, you know, so, so I think that those are kind of the, the, the main things to look for. But again, you have to remember that those early stages of a relationship, I mean, they can be a rush for everyone. And Sometimes it's not going to be until there's a fight or a conflict or something happens that you really kind of get to, you know, pick up the, the the hood and see really what's underneath there. So true. And something else I'm thinking about is when it comes to avoidant attachment styles, this is something that kind of took me a long time in my own life to understand, you know, and now I actually have to have this debate with myself sometimes is, is that person really an asshole or are they just avoidantly attached? And, you know, (laughs) I have a lot of friends who have a pretty avoidant attachment style. They're not very comfortable with emotional intimacy and so forth. And so they just kind of only pop into your life, you know, at these very infrequent intervals. And, you know, we have great friendships and relationships, but it's not the same level of emotional intensity that you might have with somebody who, to say, is a bit more securely attached. And so, by recognizing this, I can open up my life and myself to these other people who are very different from me. And we can have these great relationships without me just attributing those negative traits to them. So just something that's worth thinking about in all of this. Now, let's say that you have a partner who has an attachment style that is very different from you, right? We know that some matches are a bit more fraught than others, especially if you're, say, really anxiously attached, and your partner's very avoidantly attached. So what do you do if you kind of have this big mismatch in attachment styles? Is there anything you can do to address that? Or is it maybe just a place you don't want to go? Well, that's a really good question, Justin. And I think that, again, a lot of this just boils down to having a level of self-awareness and understanding that you need to maybe stop, try to stop kind of assuming that the person's behavior is a reflection of how they feel about you in particular. It may just be that they have a hard time showing up in the relationship in a way that feels normal to you based off of your own particular type of attachment style. And so if, for example, a person who is one combination that tends to be very, very common is anxiously attached people to avoidantly attached people. And if you think about it, that kind of makes sense. Because if you think about relationships almost as like an energy source, it's, you know, if you have one person who's really leaning into the relationship, you know, it makes sense that the other person may be backing away. Whereas if you have two people who are just totally avoidant, usually you're not going to kind of have the emotional glue that's going to keep them together. And you have to also, you know, remember that, we tend to be attracted to what feels familiar. And so if you were an anxiously attached person and grow up feeling like you never quite knew if you could depend on someone being there for you, then 
a relationship with an avoidantly attached person that's going to kind of feel natural and like home to you in, in terms of not you're going to kind of have that confirmed within you that that's how relationships feel and same with avoidantly attached if you're used to feeling kind of overwhelmed and suffocated from growing up and you're with a person who's anxiously attached that's going to kind of feel familiar to you as well so maybe sort of understanding that you know first of all there's that dynamic happening and then i think what's really important though again is just being aware of how you're interpreting different things that your partner is saying and trying to you know use phrases like so i'm feeling this way right now and what i'm hearing from you is this and what i really need from you is this rather than trying to make accusatory statements that make a partner feel like they're being attacked which for any person is just going to bring up this wall of, of defensiveness right so saying you're so needy why do you need reassurance all the time is obviously not going to help <laughs> saying why can't you talk about your feelings what's wrong with you that's obviously toward an avoidant person that's obviously not going to help but if both people can kind of hold a little bit of space and respect each other's i think attachment styles and be able to kind of move you know themselves to a place where they can reach a compromise with how they relate and how they communicate in the relationship i think that that can be really helpful and can also make both people you know as soon as those insecurities whether it's that you're going to be suffocated or whether you're not going to have reassurance from your partner if those insecurities can be addressed in that way that will of course just start to you know assage how they're actually showing up and make both people kind of come back a little bit into a more comfortable place I think you make a lot of great points and it's got me thinking about, you know, the patterns that a lot of people have in the way that they approach relationships. And if you get used to this idea of feeling that all relationships are just this inherent ball of anxiety and, you know, that's just kind of normal, you know, it's possible that there are other ways of having relationships and maybe you're setting yourself up for feeling that constant anxiety. And so maybe it's going for somebody who's going to provide more of that security. But it could also be that in some cases, having that heightened level of anxiety makes the relationship more exciting. You know, some people might be more drawn to it because there often is a bit more passion in those relationships. So there's always this sort of give and take and trade that we have to do yeah. when we're navigating these relationships. Do you want more of the security and stability or do you want more of the passion and excitement? It's hard to have it all at once. And again, maybe that's where consensual non-monogamy comes in because you can have these different yes. dynamics <laughs> with different partners. Yes. I love that. And and that's exactly right. I think that, you know, just as people, you know, you're talking about how people with different attachment styles can get demonized. Securely attached people are unfortunately a lot of times just viewed as boring. Right? Right. And so, yeah, I mean, and they're viewed as, you know, oh, well, there's no drama or miscommunication or frustration there. So, oh, well, I guess there's no spark. I guess this is not meant to be. And I think that that's really a mistake that a lot of people make because securely attached people have you know a lot of emotional depth and there can be a you know a slow burn that grows over time and a lot of times that's more sustainable than just this huge spark that might come in the beginning when there is that insecurity and doubt and confusion early on you have to really tease apart is what i'm attracted to really this person is that what i think is so hot and sexy 
or is it just that I feel really insecure right now and I don't know what's happening and it's that obstacle piece that we talk about that can make people feel that sense of excitement. And again, maybe there are times in your life where that's what you want and that chase is exciting and you want that passion. But if you're looking for something else, right, then just be aware of that and you know, give the secure person a chance. <laughs> yeah. And again, this all comes back to our language and how we choose to label these things. So are you secure or are you boring? You know, that's one way exactly. to look at it where you can ascribe a positive trait or a negative trait to it. And the same with anxious. So are you anxious and clingy or are you just really in touch with your emotions? And for avoidant, it's are you really avoidant and distant or are you independent? You know, there's different ways to view all of these things. And I, just think I it's love a, that. It's important to mm -hmm. step back and rethink some of our own biases when it comes to attachment style. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Nicole. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and follow you on social media? Yes, absolutely. So if you want to read more of my work and follow me on my work, go to my website at NicoleTheSexProfessor.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, again, at Nicole underscore the sex professor. Well, great. And thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise. It's been a lot of fun to chat with you. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lay Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.